you really want diversity to help with the growth and expansion of the sport and to really create um, a community that's going to be inclusive for everyone and to make sure that that community grows and evolves. That's not just something that's uh, river surfing specific, you know, snowboarding, rock climbing, very, very similar there. River surfing does a very good job at um, bringing new people into the fold. And I think we need to keep that friendliness and willingness to help beginners mm-hmm. um, in that culture and make sure we continue to foster that and make sure that people are always feel like they're welcome mm-hmm. um, as someone new to the sport. Going back to like the ocean surfing vibe and the localism, we need to make sure that stays out of the river as much as possible. Um, so again, going back to like people showing up who are new or people who are showing up to a new wave, like making sure they feel welcomed at that new spot or in that new environment, mm-hmm. um, giving them a good first taste of, you know, this, this sport that they may not have tried before. Wednesday, June 10th, 2020. Sup everyone, I'm Paul Clark. Sup Paul, welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, we're talking river surfing with Ben Smith, a boulder-based computer programmer who is a river surf junkie. He reviews boards online, and if you follow him in social media, you know him as Shredlocks. He is surfing as often as he possibly can. On the weekends, he loads up the van and travels throughout Colorado, but he also goes to Montana and Wyoming and Oregon, anywhere river surf is up. He reviews boards and equipments, and he has a really soft-spoken voice, but don't confuse that with not shredding. He is a very powerful voice on the river. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Hopefully you are too. Without further ado, Ben Smith. Ben Smith, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Where are you at right now? Uh, I'm in my home right now in Boulder, Colorado, um, working from home here. Um, This is where I've lived for the past 10 years, Um, although I'll spend most of my time traveling around to surf in other places other than Boulder. If if my audience isn't familiar with you, uh, they should be. You know, looking at your Instagram shred locks, you Mm -hmm. they would believe that you're always on the road chasing inland surf. You just came back from a Montana trip. You're often throughout uh, Colorado on the variety of waves there. You are lifestyle surfer, aren't you? Yeah. you know, I do a lot of traveling, especially this time of year. Uh, we have a little RV that we uh, kind of travel around Colorado in, and then we'll get up to um, Wyoming and Montana, you know, do a couple of trips up there once a year. Um, but I'm also, uh, you know, really a weekend warrior. I kind of hold down a, a nine to five, um, put in 40 hours a week typically um, at my job. So, um some of these trips that you'll see on Instagram are either just kind of weekend trips around Colorado or maybe like this last one was a week-long trip up to Montana. How was Montana? Were you on the, the Lewis River? Uh, I was on the Yellowstone River. Yellowstone. It was absolutely epic. It was just great. I love that place. Uh, and, and you probably go up to Montana this time every year, right? 
Um, actually, my first time going up there was two years ago. Uh, they had a surf jam event where they invited people from all over the U.S. and Canada um, to come down and surf one of their waves there. Um, a bunch of us from all over came and hung out and learned this new wave and got exposed to that. Um, loved it. It was so much fun. I probably spent 10 days up there surfing. Um, last year, the wave didn't come in, just the snowpack wasn't there. Uh, this year, the water was high enough, so I definitely made a point to get up there. And you know, any any year, the water's high enough, I'm going to be there for sure. Have you been keeping track of how uh, locks or how pipeline on the Lockshaw or uh, lunch counter is doing in Wyoming? Um, I know that some people went up and served pipeline. It was a little bit far for me to make it up there this trip. Um, it was like 16 or 17 hours for me, <laughs> um, and. Uh, there's a saying, you never want to leave surf to find surf. So <laughs> you were at a great wave. Would have been great to drive, you know, another day to go to another great wave, but I just couldn't, couldn't pull the trigger on that. I just wanted to stay and surf where I was. Um, and yeah, Wyoming, uh, I think the water is a little bit high there, but coming down, I'll be keeping my eye on that and watching for uh, some good flows there. Sure. Tell me a little bit about your background, where you're from, uh, your your career as a computer programmer and how you got into surfing. Uh, sure. Um, so originally I'm from Kauai, uh, born there, uh, raised until I was six, um, and then kind of grew up all over the West Coast. So moved to California, Arizona, Oregon, back to Arizona. Um, my parents just enjoyed moving a lot of places. <laughs> they weren't in the army or anything, but they in enjoyed kind of you know, picking up and moving every handful of years. Um, so I, I was exposed to the ocean at a young age. Um, I didn't really get into surfing too much until after college when I was living in Arizona and driving out to California and um, surfing either um, in LA or San Diego. Um, and even then I wasn't much of a surfer, um, but uh, kind of in my late twenties, my girlfriend and I, uh, Aaron, uh, who some of you might know, uh, we quit our jobs. We bought a VW bus and we traveled around the U.S. in that for a year, um, mostly just surfing and rock climbing. And that's where, like, I really felt like I became a surfer. Um, <laughs> that was all ocean surfing back then. Um, but I really felt like I could, you know, paddle out into a lineup, be competitive, catch waves. You know, I knew what I was doing. I had some confidence there. Um, after that trip, though, we moved to um, Colorado, to Boulder, um, where there's obviously not an ocean. Um, and we tried to get into kayaking. We both bought kayaks. We learned how to roll. Um, and we didn't really we didn't really get out on the river that much. But um, kind of getting exposed to that whole scene um, showed me that there's this thing called river surfing. And we latched onto that. And once I started doing that, I realized that that is what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be in a kayak. I wanted to be on the board. You know, it really started with um, stand up, sup, mm -hmm. you know, river surfing, and that transitioned later into kind of the shortboard or prone surfing on the river. About when was that? Uh, so that was about eight years ago. Okay. Yeah. So just as the the parks in Colorado were developing for for river surfing, you were out there on your sup, and and now you actually review surfboards river surfboard equipment yeah so i got into that pretty early so you know 
around eight years ago, like I, I realized that not a lot of people were talking about the equipment that you need for river surfing. Um, and the people that were talking about it were in some way affiliated with the brands that were building the equipment. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like um, it would be really nice if I could find information um, that was completely unbiased, uh, that would compare different brands um, and really, you know, give a clear voice on like, hey, here's what you should be looking at if you're looking to surf this kind of wave, whether it's a hole, whether it's a wave, or it's a, you know, adjustable wave or a big natural wave, whatever it is. Um, and I also found that there was kind of a lack of uh, experimentation at the time. So not a lot of people were um, trying a bunch of interesting ocean board shapes. Mm -hmm. um, there were like a handful of people who are using whatever boards they kind of had available. <laughs> and then other people who are just kind of latching on to uh, the gear that was specifically designed for the river. But there wasn't anyone that was kind of like looking at everything that was out there and saying, hey, this weird shape that was designed for the ocean, this might, might actually work for the river. Let's try it out. So uh, I got into doing that as well. You became the voice. And I was yeah. looking at your reviews yesterday, and, and you don't pull any punches. You say this board is good for this, at this level, this brand, and you, you highlight your quiver. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to see your garage because you're not just a, a, a riverboard sports enthusiast. You're also a snowboarder. <laughs> so I'm sure there's a quiver of those boards too. Yeah. Um, the garage is packed with a bunch of adventure gear from floor to ceiling and hanging off the ceiling. Um, I have too many boards. What, how would you identify the difference between inland surfing and ocean surfing? Clearly the geographic differences are there. The lifestyles are, differences are there. But do you get your surfing fix completely satisfied inland on rivers? I do nowadays. I do um, get that fix uh, that I have, or that, that itch that I have, I need to scratch, um, you know, for surfing, I can scratch by a river surfing. Uh, and when I first moved to Colorado, um, even, and even when I first started river surfing, I still felt like I needed to go out and ocean surf mm -hmm. um, at least once or twice a year. But at this point, um, you know, figuring out all the gear, figuring out all the waves and figuring out how to surf these waves really well in a, in a style that mimics the ocean. It's not exactly the same, but it feels similar. Mm -hmm. um, it definitely scratches that itch for me. And uh, I haven't surfed in the ocean since I think March of last year. So it's been over a year for me since I last mm -hmm. ocean surfed. Um, and, you know, I'm totally fine with that. I'm happy river surfing. Um, and in other ways, you know, river surfing is a lot better. Like there's less localism, um, you know, it's stationary. You can catch as many ways as you want. You're not going to get skunked on the session. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of things that are, are better in river surfing. But yeah, it, it scratches that itch for me for sure. Good. And you mentioned earlier, you're not going to leave surf to chase surf, but the the, the vagabond lifestyle, the, the chasing experience, that iconic image of the, the surfer with little gear walking into the sunset is such a part of the, the American culture. And I mean, your VW with, with your lady chasing waves is such a such an important part of what it is to be a surfer. So what are some waves that you have to surf like if you were to name five waves that are just the mandatory wave for a person to to know about in the united states what would those be 
Um, so I don't like to name some sure. of the waves that aren't local to me. Sure, but definitely making making a trip up to Montana. Sure. Whenever the water is good, making a trip up to Wyoming whenever the water is good. Like those are areas that I'm going to hit mm -hmm. every single year. Um, locally here, um, Glenwood is always great whenever it's in. I'm going to hit that every single time. Um, and then Boise, everyone knows about Boise, right? And, yes. uh, they have you know three different waves now. Um, and I haven't gotten to surf the latest one, but like that's a a, a great place to go. Amazing community. Um, the stuff that Victor has done with Corridor mm -hmm. Surf Shop to create this whole like local scene there and a mm -hmm. vibe with like a place to hang out, a place to get gear is just amazing. Um, I hope that that whole thing gets reproduced other places. Um, how many ways is that? Four. <laughs> um, I don't. Hmm. And I've I've met you at two of those waves, Glenwood, of course. Everybody refers to Glenwood. Uh, this time of season, Glenwood is just a, an amazing feature, river-wide feature. And Bend. I met you at the, the, the bladders in Bend where I was living at the time. I was happy to see you roll up in, in your van and like, all right, there's Ben. <laughs> yeah, Ben's awesome. Uh, I definitely need to get out there. I haven't been out there since they, uh, I think they widened the wave, their main surf wave. Mm -hmm. uh, so I haven't gotten out there since those adjustments. I need to try that out for sure. So you mentioned Boise and you mentioned Bend. They're definitely bladder systems. Uh, how do you compare, because you've been to so many river waves, natural river waves, uh, flood stage waves, uh, bladders, and just different hydrologies. Do you have a preference? Do you have a, a type of wave that you really enjoy? Well, when it comes to the adjustable waves, like you're talking about bladders with hydraulic flaps that raise and lower, um, I definitely prefer the hydraulic jump style of wave, which means there's a flap, but that flap is pointing down and it's the back pressure of the pool downstream that's actually creating the wave that you surf. Um, I prefer that style over the sheet flow where you have a flap that points up and the water flows over that creating the wave. <laughs> um, so if we get kind of technical there, like that's that, you know, those smaller um, short boardable features, I, I prefer the hydraulic drums. Um, when it comes to, you know, the versus the natural features, um, you know, some of the big river waves that we get, uh, and, you know, Glenwood's actually not even natural, right? That was a man-made feature. Mm -hmm. It's just fixed, not adjustable. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of a whole different beast. Uh, the real benefit of those adjustable features is they can really extend the season and turn it into something that lasts several months rather than just several weeks. Uh, you know, like Glenwood this year was really only good for three weeks, maybe. Um, is it already it wasn't blown out? Yeah, it's already super low now. Mm -hmm. um, so like that's not really enough time to really build a community and have people get super into a sport. But if you have a season that's say four months or even six months, then that's as long as, you know, mountain biking season, climbing season, snowboarding season, that's something you can build a community and economy around where, you know, people get super into it. They buy all the gear that they need. They get really good at the sport. And, um, it's a whole different deal. I was asking a little bit about the, the difference in, in, in ocean versus landlock. What I've found in, in rivers, and I'm not really an ocean surfer, I've certainly had my fair share of waves, but there's always, especially with a stand-up paddleboard, there's always some sort of territorial confrontation type of thing going on. Uh, in the river, it's just the opposite. There's just a, such a supportive community. Can you speak to that? 
Yeah, it's totally different than the ocean. Uh, typically, um, showing up at a river wave that maybe you don't even know, you can just roll up to the wave, ask, ask people questions, um, and they'll be happy to help you out. Um, you'll even have people that are willing to lend you a board if you don't have one. Um, and it's just uh, this experience that is very welcoming um, and supportive um, for people who maybe have never river surfed or maybe never river surfed that wave. And that's something that uh, I've never really seen in the ocean, except for maybe one time that I can think of. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and uh, that, that whole um, community and culture of support um, is something that is, um, I would say, unique to river surfing. Like you just, you just don't see that in the ocean. Um, and it's one of the the main things that I think draws people to it, right? Um, yeah. And in this podcast, I've talked with Brittany Parker and Dan Gavir, among other people, and we've talked about river surfing a little bit and the equipment that's that distinguishes uh, rivers versus the ocean. What do you recommend people wear to be safe while river surfing, including leashes? How, how, how is a leash worn and are you wearing helmets mm -hmm. and PFDs? Yeah, so typically um, the default setup for me is a helmet, a PFD, um, a leash that is releasable, uh, the appropriate wetsuit, dry suit for the water temperature, air temperature, and then um, foot protection as well, so shoes or booties. So basically everything. And that's the getup that I wear everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I, I tend to be of the opinion that uh, I'm just going to wear all the safety gear no matter where I go. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how safe this wave is. I'm just going to wear this all, all this stuff, and I'm going to get used to paddling my board with a P P PFD on, I'm going to get used to having a releasable leash attached to my waist rather than an ankle leash. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be comfortable with that so that whenever I need to wear all that stuff, it's just second nature. I have it there. I'm used to it. I can, I can use all that stuff. Um, other people tend to, uh, especially if they only serve kind of a local wave, they'll scale that down and only pick and choose which pieces of gear that they think is appropriate. Um, so, you know, a lot of these urban adjustable waves that we find, um, a lot of people won't wear PFDs at all. And it might be safe there, um, especially if you know that um, there's nothing to, you know, to run into downstream. Um, but if you go somewhere else, like that setup may or may not be safe at another river wave. And I've, I've definitely thought of uh, a place like Bend, uh, a very structured river environment. It's, it's almost like a, a skate park where you just have concrete and you have smooth runouts and you have a lot of people of different experiences there. I've always been concerned a little bit that you take that park-like mentality and then take it to a real river take it to a real natural wave, such as in, in Montana or in, in Wyoming, where you have this beautiful rave and rapids behind it. So I like the idea of you, you know, just wearing your gear that, uh, that it's river savvy gear that not a lot of people who are, you know, uh, surfing, especially on, on prone boards, shortboard, epoxy boards are really getting into. Do you ever feel like you have to have a conversation with anybody with the, the equipment that they're wearing? I've chosen not to have a lot of those conversations. Sure. That's just my personality, um, you know, and 
I'm coming from, you know, a bunch of other adventure sports. So backcountry skiing is another one that I do, or backcountry snowboarding, splitboarding. Um, and there's plenty of people that I see every time I go out that are out there by themselves skiing in avalanche terrain, mm-hmm. which, you know, they're choosing their level of risk there. And I could say something, but I typically don't. And rock climbing, I rock climbed for, I think, decades now. Um, and, you know, I'll be out rock climbing. I always climb with a rope. I always have a helmet. I always place plenty of gear. And I'll turn and look to my side, and there'll be someone free soloing <laughs> right next to me. It's just a different level of risk. And, you know, I've made the choice to not have those conversations. Um, but I do try to, you know, um, showcase that, like, hey, you can be a shredding river surfer and still wear a helmet and a pfd and i can paddle and like a board wearing a pfd and i can shred just as hard as anyone else who's like just in a wetsuit and a leash right Mm -hmm. um i think that's important and that's kind of you know what i like to to do and how i show that hey this is you know what it looks like for me to shred this way but i i tend to not have those conversations unless there's something that's going to be um like i can see the the um the incident waiting to happen right where there's maybe a rope in the water and there's someone with a ankle leash i'll be like hey like let's pull that rope out or like hey let's get rid of your leash like then i'll have those conversations but they're pretty few and far between you seem like you just have a a calm way about you (laughs) uh (laughs) listening to your voice listening to the way that you avoid potential confrontation but you'll you know you're willing to 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 stand up and and speak if you feel it's absolutely necessary for the moment and but don't let that calm voice confuse my audience because you do shred i think you're the first person ever on a sup board in person i've seen do 360s like right after another like 360s to your heel side 360s to your toe side and like how does that guy do that and carving in the middle of it uh, in the big water and in, in the glassy water this is at glenwood i'm like that guy is awesome with his dreadlocks hanging out of his helmet and just calm and collected like yeah i've got this no worries <laughs> thanks yeah uh i definitely kind of followed in the footsteps of all the the bad fish guys mm-hmm. and they were doing all the 360s and i was like oh like i think i can do that let me try that out <laughs> so i got i went on an easier wave than where they do most of their tricks and went out on glad one was big and glassy and learned how to do all those spins in both directions um, <laughs> it's super fun though and do you have uh, a, an offside 360 as well can you switch your stance and and spin from your offside um, so I can spin in both directions mm-hmm. um, in my goofy stance. So that would be right foot forward. Mm-hmm. I can spin in both directions. And there's also different ways you can spin each way with your paddle. Um, so I've gotten uh, my backside 360. I can spin in two different directions. My front, front side 360, I can only spin um, using one type of paddle stroke. Mm-hmm. Um, but my backside, I got two different types of paddle strokes I can use to go that way. Um, it's pretty fun. I don't know. It's all kind of, um, you know, you just kind of try to push the envelope a little bit every time you go out. You know, if, I, I think if you're not kind of falling unintentionally because you're trying something, then maybe you're not pushing yourself hard enough. And, mm-hmm. You know, maybe you should try a different trick or try a different board or something else. Um, but yeah, I always, those are always fun to do. And I always like to try to push myself. And how do you determine if you're going to have a paddle that day or for that session versus prone uh, swimming into the wave? 
It really depends on the wave. Um, I'm, I really enjoy finding the right board, whether that's a prone board or a paddle board um, that will allow me to surf the wave without um, an unnecessary amount of uh, effort. So if I'm on a prone board without a paddle and I'm able to stand up, but I'm constantly having to pump the board to get it to stay on the wave, or I'm not able to make a turn without it coming off the wave, then maybe I'll switch to a stand-up paddleboard. Um, if the stand-up paddleboard is like too big to really fit in the wave or can't make a turn without the fin sliding out because it's too steep, uh, maybe I'll switch to a prone board. But um, I, I really like finding the right gear for a given wave. And, you know, even when I decide, hey, I'm going to sup this wave or I'm going to prone surf this wave, then I'll, you know, still try like four different boards to figure out what is the best board for this wave at this level. Um, and that goes back into, you know, all the reviews I do on the River Surf mm -hmm. Lab is you know, figuring out like, hey, this board works in all these different waves and this board doesn't, you know, trying to figure out where each piece of gear really fits. That's that's great, and I, I really appreciate the, the fact that you're also on inflatable uh, paddle boards and inflatable surfboards and do the side-by-side -side comparison. And you're, you're, again, your gear review doesn't hold back. You really identify what works for you, and you're not limited just to that. You're not just limited to the material. You're not just limited to the brand, and I appreciate that, and I definitely will steer people to your, your review website. Uh, so that they could have a good idea of, of your voice also there and equipment that you use. I do have a, a, a question. So you're a paddleboarder, but it sounds like primarily in surf. Do you ever point the, the board downriver and do a tour, and a, a point A to B kind of run? When I first got into um, this whole scene, uh, it started with paddleboarding and I would paddle on the local lakes and reservoirs and paddle downstream and surf, kind of did all of that. And as time went on, I kind of stopped doing the flat water stuff. Mm -hmm. um, still did a little bit of downriver um, and then mostly surf. And then that, that transitioned again to basically all just surf. At this point, um, I don't think I have a single downriver board now. Mm -hmm. um, I always have to borrow a board anytime I paddle downriver. <laughs> um, I do get... Um, on the river to do a multi-day trip, typically every October. Um, so doing a three-day trip on the San Juan. Oh, nice. And that's kind of, you know, the the one downriver trip that I'm always doing. Um, and then every now and then I'll get on the upper sea and, you know, just go out and paddle, um, you know, radium or, or a pump house down to um, wherever and do that maybe once a year. I, so not not a lot of downriver anymore. It started there, but not as much as uh, as it once was, for sure. But you you found your passion. You've you found your your purpose on the river, and that's fantastic. And I'm really interested in in this topic. And in the last few minutes that we have, we're going to talk a little bit about ethnicity. At this time, the we're becoming more and more aware of the the racism that still exists in the United States, outdoor recreation, including the sports you've mentioned, surfing, uh, river surfing in particular, uh, snowboarding, uh, rock climbing. It's a pretty whitewashed industry, outdoor recreation in the United States. You have an Asian heritage, or at least Asian ethnicity. Can you talk about race in the outdoors in the United States? 
I think you're 100% right. Um, it's a very predominantly, um, you see white males in, in reverse surfing, right? Um, which is not great, right? You really want diversity to help uh, with the growth and expansion of the sport and to really create um, a community that's going to be inclusive for everyone and to make sure that that community grows and evolves. Um, and you're right, you know, that's not just something that's uh, river surfing specific, you know, snowboarding, rock climbing, very, very similar there. Um, my thoughts around it, we definitely need to increase the diversity. Um, river surfing does a very good job at um, bringing new people into the fold. And I think we need to keep that friendliness and willingness to help beginners mm -hmm. um, in that culture and make sure we continue to foster that and make sure that people are always feel like they're welcome mm -hmm. um, as someone new to the sport. Um, and, you know, going back to like the ocean surfing vibe and the localism, we need to make sure that stays out of the river as much as possible. Um, so again, going back to like people showing up who are new or people who are showing up to a new wave, like making sure they feel welcomed at that new spot or in that new environment, mm -hmm. um, giving them a good first taste of, you know, this, this sport that they may not have tried before. Um, I also think that there's, there's this movement that we're seeing in the past, um, I guess the past five years-ish mm -hmm. around these adjustable waves that are showing up in um, kind of metropolitan areas, you know, Denver and Boise uh, and Bend. Um, and I think that if we can continue that movement where we're building these features that um, are adjustable and are um, accessible and surfable um, over, you know, more than just a handful of weeks out of the year, and are close to a major populated area where someone doesn't have to drive three hours like I do to get to a good wave, mm -hmm. um, where, you know, someone who of maybe lesser financial means would have a hard time paying for gas to get out there, but could drive, you know, 10 minutes from home to get to a small wave at their own, in their hometown. I think that's going to be really important to um, just making it more accessible. And if there's a way that we can also find to make these these waves um, generally safe, you know, like you were saying in Bend, um, a lot of concrete is poured in such a way that it's fairly safe. If we can make sure that these features that are built in these um, populated areas are um, as safe as possible, where maybe someone can show up with just a boogie board, right? And maybe a bike helmet, right? That they mm -hmm. bought, borrowed from their friend, right? Something that's going to cost them little to no money. Then I think we can get people who are, um, would find maybe sup river surfing financially infeasible. We're going to be able to reach those, those, those people and get them into the sport. Do you know of any, um, outdoor programs or educational uh, programs that are encouraging uh, different looking people, different demographics to the river. 
I know I, I interviewed Ian Smith from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, who has a really great program to get a, 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 a diverse mixed population into the water, and he's really created a generation of river stewards. Other than his program in Pittsburgh, do you know of anything that gets people out on the water who probably wouldn't otherwise? There's one, I believe it's called the Chill Foundation, um, and I don't know if they're based out of Denver or if they have a branch in Denver, but I can put you in contact with them. Um, there's uh, a guy who started river surfing three years ago when they built the Denver Wave that runs that. And um, prior to that, they were, I, I believe, focused on skateboarding and snowboarding. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a couple of years ago, they started focusing on river surfing as well. So um, kind of branching out, you know, including river surfing as another board sport. And I believe they try to bring in minorities from the local community and, and expose them to these sports that they might not have access to on their own. Um, but I can give you some contact information for uh, David. He, he's the one who's part of that. Perfect. I'd like to get that information. And a couple more questions. Uh, this is a, an existential question. What is surfing to you? Surfing to me is really a sport that puts me in uh, puts me in the moment and just keeps me there. While I'm river surfing, I'm not thinking about anything that happened yesterday, anything that's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not thinking about anything except for surfing. And it's wholly consuming. And it's puts me in this flow state that I just love. Um, I don't know how to explain it sure. beyond that, but um, <laughs> the feeling of gliding over a wave and making turns and um it's just it's just incredible thank you for that and in these dark times in these confused times in these times where we're hopefully looking at more opportunities for solidarity and equity what do you have to say to people to overcome dark times and and march forward into a more positive future Oh man, that's a hard one. Um, <laughs> let me let me ask the most difficult question for last. Yeah, I would just say keep your head up, uh, keep looking towards the future. The future is going to be bright. Um, you know, we're going through a hard time as a society right now, um, but there's nothing but looking up from here. I think everything is going to get better and better day after day. Um, I think there's a lot we have to look forward to. Thank you, sir. It's been a fantastic conversation. I've learned more about river surfing uh, with talking with you, and I look to, forward to being on the water with you hopefully sometime soon. Do you have any plans on coming out west? Uh, I have a couple of weeks off uh, early July. Um, don't really have any plans yet. Um, rivers are always interesting. You never can really plan specific sure, um, sure. trips around it. Like It depends on the flow, right? Um, so I have a couple of weeks off. Um, I know like Boise and Bend are kind of always good because yeah. they have adjustable features. So there's a good chance that um, I might head out that direction yeah. um, sometime in July. Um, otherwise, I might be in uh, Wyoming if the water's good there. Sure. Who knows? Well, Bend in July is definitely going to be filled with uh, tubers and bikinis and, and the entire <laughs> lifestyle. Spring and, and fall tends to, here's the local secret, tend to be the best for Bend. Uh, and, of course, the winter wave of trestles on the lower to shoots. Maybe I'll see you Ooh, in the winter yeah. down in, in uh, Oregon sometime. That'd be super cool. All right, sir. Uh, thank you so much for your time and information and your positive vibes. Have a great day. Thank you.
Bye. Thank Bye. you, sir. 